I'm sitting here behind the microphone of Radio Resonance because that's where you're listening to Radio Resonance in London, a great station. This is the Bike Snob of New York City, and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM 104.4. I was going around the mountain making 90 miles an hour when the train I was skint all over by the rocks and the gravel and punctured to death by the smoke. Now you've heard of accidents on boats, motor cars, and airplanes, but the accident I had to take the cake. Foot slipped off the pedal and my shoe caught in the chain So therefore I couldn't even hit the brake I was going round the mountain making 90 miles an hour When the chain on my bicycle broke I was skint all over by the rocks and the gravel I was punctured to death by the smoke Bars are sticking down my throat. I've got the front wheel for a necktie, the back wheel for a belt, and I'm wearing the fender for a coat. I was going around the mountain making 90 miles an hour when the train on my bicycle broke. I was getting all over by the rocks and the gravel and punctured to death by the smoke. Welcome to the Bike Show here on Resonance FM with me, Jack Thurston. This is the sound of the Tennessee Jug Band. And there are, of course, many ways in which you can come a cropper on a bicycle. None of them are particularly nice. Grazed knees, sprained wrists, sunstroke, a bang on the head. I think we've all had them. Or if you're a particularly unlucky or a particularly sporty cyclist, the broken collarbone. Or well, yesterday, I had a completely novel and rather unpleasant experience on a bicycle when some unknown species of stinging insect flew straight into my mouth and right down my gullet. And by the time I'd managed to spit the thing out, it had stung me. I won't go into any of the details about what followed other than to say it wasn't very nice. And today I've been feeling somewhat below par. So I hope my state of partial incapacitation won't affect the show this week. And the moral of the story is, well, be careful what you allow to fly into your mouth. Such an experience is something that may well have befallen Albert Wynne Stanley, a British writer, broadcaster and cycle tourist who died earlier this year at the ripe old age of 95. Though I never met Albert, we share the same passion for the countryside, for cycle touring, 
for adventure and exploration by bicycle. Albert's writing is amongst the best there is in the small genre of writing about riding a bicycle. I spoke with Tim Dawson, a journalist with the Sunday Times and certified Win Stanley fan, to find out more about the man. I began by asking Tim when he first became aware of Win Stanley's work. I guess maybe five years ago, I found a second-hand copy of his first book, The Golden Wheels of Albert Stanley, which I loved. It's a collection of pieces that I think he wrote mainly for a magazine called Cycling World. And he's really one of the most successful uh, people at at sort of capturing the magic of a day's cycle touring and the kind of uh, emotional and imaginative journeys that he goes on. So when Stanley was a cyclist in the great British tradition of the cycle tourist, cycling in the countryside for pleasure, he wasn't a racing man. He never mentions a racing career, and touring does seem to be his enthusiasm. I mean, that's that's what he writes about. He, he clearly cycled since his boyhood uh, in the 1930s and continued all the way through adult life. But I, I, he retired, I think, maybe as early as 1970 he'd been a he'd worked in the aircraft industry and i think thereafter he appears to have devoted himself to uh both to cycling and to trying to capture the essence of cycling in his writing because it's a very difficult thing to do isn't it to write about bicycling cycling is a an experience of movement an experience a very sensory experience it's a little bit like someone who said uh, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. It's a difficult thing to convey a bicycle ride on the page. It is, and it's difficult, you know, if you're writing a series of pieces, I think many people can perhaps do one thing about the experience of cycling, but, but a book of them can actually be a bit dull because... You know, it's the experience rather than the description of the experience that most of us enjoy. But Albert sort of found different ways into uh, his journey. Sometimes he would go searching for some uh, tiny mark that he'd seen on an ordnance survey map um, that he'd have done a little bit of research about beforehand. So it, it was a kind of quest to find, uh, you know, a sort of Neolithic stone or something. And often he'd, he had a quite a, an elaborate sense of the stories around things. Uh, on, on other occasions, more recent historical things that he was interested in. Or he was a very fine nature writer. Um, he would notice things in hedgerows and, and in fields uh, that certainly, uh, you know, brought out something of the countryside that perhaps I hadn't seen. It's all very voguish right now, isn't it? Writing about the countryside, writing about nature, writing about making journeys. But Albert Winstanley was doing it for much of the 20th century. Yes, I mean, it's clearly a tradition um, which goes back, uh, I mean, probably to the to the late um, 1890s, and, and there was a lot of it in the 30s. And, and I guess in some respects he was carrying on with something that wasn't particularly fashionable for most of the time that he was doing it. But he, having got an idea of, of, of the kind of pieces he was going to write, um, he carried on doing it in, in, in a dogged and, and enormously impressive way. I mean, I think that the legacy he leaves, uh, it's a shame there isn't more of it, um, but it's a real trove for anybody who uh, perhaps wants to do a little fireside cycle touring. 
because these were originally pieces written to appear in magazines. Is that right? I think so. I think I think most of the recycling world, although possibly some were in cycle touring, they're they're typically uh, sort of two two and a half thousand words long. Uh, although there are some longer pieces, each one describes a particular journey. But as I say, he 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 sort of finds new and interesting ways. I mean, through the two books he wrote of um, of cycle touring pieces. Um, uh, all of them sort of bring a, a, a fresh delight to his subjects. Not, not, not the sort of psychological world, save that, save that occasionally, um, oh, far up in uh, Upper Wharfdale on one occasion, he enters a kind of imaginary world where he thinks that trolls are lurking behind rocks, uh, somehow trying to thwart his progress. Um, and it's clearly, a, a, you know, he acknowledges from the outset that it's a contrivance and uh, no small hairy creatures emerge from behind the rocks. But it's quite an amusing, uh, I suppose, journey into that kind of imaginary world that perhaps some of all of us, uh, in one way or another, enter into as we pedal hour in, hour out. Winstanley's writing is quite straightforward, isn't it? There's a lot of self-referential, kind of ironic writing where the the author plays a significant role in the text itself. I don't know if that's a postmodern style of writing, but that's not the way Albert Winstanley wrote, is it? I think that's a fair point. I, he he clearly has a sense that he needs to create in a piece of writing an entertainment. Um, and that it, it it needs to be a story that will get people uh, to the end of the piece and deliver something satisfying. Um, but there's no um, th- there are no inverted commas. There's no sort of sense of himself in the place. He he he, he is interested in the topography and the history of where he is. You know, if he finds himself in a churchyard which has some particular historical resonance, uh, he's keen to explore those stories. Or, uh, you know, he has a particular enthusiasm for for, people, for, for earlier writers uh, and, and is keen, you know, he enjoys uh, re-inhabiting spaces that they've been and I suppose trying to uh, extract from the landscape something of what they experienced and they conveyed in their writing. So, Tim, you're the editor of cyclingbooks.com. And in that capacity, you read a lot of books about cycling. A lot of the writing about cycling, I think, is not very good. Clearly, when Stanley's writing is good, what are some of the pitfalls that befall many people who try to write about their bike rides that Albert Winstanley avoids? Well, I suppose he... He, he's unusual in that he writes these pieces about British cycle touring, which which people were writing in the 20s and 30s and were being published uh, quite a lot in, in things like the CTC Gazette. Um, but interest in writing about that kind of thing has has really fallen by the wayside. And, and it's hard to think now of anybody who's doing it. There are lots of sort of dashing young men and and a few older people and some women uh, going sort of the length of the Americas or around the world or or, or places that have some sort of um, seem to involve terrible hardships uh, to accomplish them. Albert Winstanley was only ever cycling for pleasure and, and the hardships came when there was a terribly rainy day or a, a headwind into which he had to battle on his way home. But I suppose... He's unusual in that in that through the seventies and the eighties he carried on writing about British cycle touring. Um, he's he's also unusual in that 
as, as, as somebody who produces something that's of really quite high quality, um, I think a lot of people seem to imagine that somehow the cycling in itself will create the good writing, whereas Albert Winstanley clearly worked hard on his writing. He, he, he thought hard about what he had, had, would have to do to deliver an enjoyable piece. And, I mean, I don't know whether it came easily to him or not, but it's a... It's the work of somebody who understands that writing isn't something that, that, that simply requires you to have an experience and then splurge on a typewriter. When did Albert Winstanley stop riding a bike and writing about it? Well, there are only three books. Uh, the two books of um, Psychotour and Golden Wheels of Albert Winstanley and Golden Days of Wheel, both of which are collected works of, of magazine articles. And he wrote a book called Old Tom about a legendary Lancashire cyclist who, uh, from the sort of Victorian era, uh, who carried on riding a penny farthing into the sort of 1940s and 1950s and was a sort of very uh, highly celebrated cyclist in the Northwest. So only three books, I'm afraid. Uh, it's, it's a great shame that he didn't write more. Um, he was cycling into his 90s. Um, in the last letter he wrote me, he says very regretfully, um, that that in the past couple of years he's had to give up cycling and that it makes him feel like a fish out of water, um, but that he did manage to carry on, I, I think, pretty much until his 90th birthday. Wow, riding a bike right up until his 90th birthday. It sounds like a real inspiration. Is it possible to find copies of his books? Are, are they still out there? They are. I mean, if you look on ABE books, um, they come up reasonably frequently. Perhaps now they'll, um, you know, his demise will uh, cause a sufficient flurry of interest that they'll become slightly um, rarer. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it might be possible to find some means to republish some of them. So what else is there out there that he's done? I've seen on the Cyclist Touring Club web forum some mention of uh, slideshows that he gave um, with uh, words and images, have those uh, have those come to light? I don't know. I've I have uh, suggested to the family that if he had an archive of stuff, that the National Cycle Archive would be very keen um, to you know to take anything of that kind in. Um, I have heard, heard only of his presentations by reputation. Um, but they were they were certainly well thought of, and he seemed to have. I mean, he seemed to have revived the idea of a talk with slides that that there was very big phenomena in the 1930s with people like Wayfair and Kuklos um, doing them up and down the land, and in the 70s and 80s, I think quite often at the York Cycle Show, he did these kind of slightly more technically updated sort of sharing of experience using both both music and slides, which I, I would have loved to have gone to. Um, but alas, didn't. So I, if any of that still exists, um, it, it, it would be fantastic to find some new way of sharing it. Tim, remind us again of the names of the books that Albert Winstanley wrote. The Golden Wheels of Albert Winstanley, which was published in 1985 by Countryside Publications, and Golden Days A Wheel, which was published by Owl Books, in 1991. That was Tim Dawson talking about Albert Winstanley, and Tim was kind enough to offer to read one of his favourite passages from Winstanley's books. This is the opening of a piece called Like a Wet Bedraggled Moth from Albert's second book, Golden Days A Wheel. I've always been enchanted by the poetry, especially the poetry of nature and the countryside. 
I often browse with the poems of Tennyson, Keats, Browning, Spencer, Shelley, and a host of others who gave contributions to our literary heritage. One evening, I idly turned the pages to Wordsworth and read, A slumber did my spirit seal, the first line of a poem of just two verses. To me, it was the master poet of Lakeland, expressing the lovely sense of harmony and slumber, but with the spirit waiting to be awakened. The more I thought of it, the more I was picturing Lakeland slumbering away in the hush, wintry days. So vivid was it all that the urge to capture this Lakeland atmosphere and mood could not be ignored. Plans were forming. I knew I would have to go searching for the inspiration that had promoted Wordsworth to write and enshrine his thoughts in one single line. I would go to Hawkshead Village, where the young poet had spent his early school days. Then my way would be up, along and over Hawkshead Hill to Coniston, where I should find the lake placid in the quietude of morning. Then I should seek the high Tilberthwaite fells and the secluded wooded ways to Little Langdale. The little town there would lead me on a thrilling rough way to the foot of the well-known Rhinos Pass. The majesty of Langdale Pikes would quickly come into view and in turn would lure me. I'd come to the Blee Tarn, so snugly embedded beneath the shadow and there, lulled by the soft murmur of water and the wintry spell, I would sit. In the perfection of this Lakeland setting, I would remember the words of Wordsworth that had brought me here, and the magic of his memory and pen would be my contentment. When I mentioned my plans to my good cycling friend Steve, he did not even raise his usual quizzical eyebrow. Then, he is used to my unusual cycle doings. He accepts them without question, being content to tag along. In any event, he was equally keen for a wintry weekend in Lakeland. Little did we know what was to be in store for us. Our Lakeland slumber was to coincide with a period when Lakeland was to experience 48 hours of continuous rain, hail and gale force winds. It all began in the cycle shed at Hawkshead Youth Hostel, where a fitful morning had brought the stinging cold rain. We strapped on our saddlebags and donned leg spats, capes and caps. Our spirits were definitely at a low ebb. The hostel lane to the Hawkshead Road was awash. Without hesitation, we turned our wheels towards the village. One never passes Hawkshead without a look around. Ordinarily, the village is chock-a-block with words with pilgrims who come to browse and look at the poet's grammar school and to visit the church and to stand before his school-day lodgings. On this early morning, it was virtually deserted, though. Even in the rain, though, it was good to seek out the many hidey-holes and secluded haunts that the village knows and which are almost unaltered since the poet's days. A few turns of the pedals and we were at the junction of Hawkshead Hill and the Ambleside Road. The hill soon had us out of the saddle, and the road was streaming with water, with a steady drip, drip, drip of raindrops down our faces and noses as we pushed our way ahead. All was grey and gloom before us, yet there was to be the most welcome harbinger of the far yet distant spring to give me joy on this wintry morning, and I just had to stop and savour it. What I'd seen in the dripping hedgerows were minute hazel catkins, barely half an inch long, Pale green and hard, they made a brave display, forerunners of the dancing yellow lamb's tails that are such a spring delight. On pointing them out to Steve, his only response was a whimsical grin and a non-committal grunt. Looking at Catkins is not his cup of tea. Then he muttered something about hot coffee and cakes that he was looking forward to when we reached Connison, so we pedalled on. Tim Dawson was reading an extract from Like a Wet Bedraggled Moth, by Albert Wynne Stanley. And Albert Wynne Stanley is one of a number of authors you can read in a new collection of quality writing about cycling that Tim and I are co-editing. It's available as an e-book for the Kindle 
and the iPad and other e-readers. More about that in a moment. But first, from one multi-talented Englishman of the old school to another, a recording by Vivian Stanshaw. Terry keeps his clips on. Terry Keeps His Clips On by Vivian Stanshall. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, 
Tim Dawson and I have just published the first issue of The Bicycle Reader. It's a new collection of 10 essays, long and short, spanning the whole era of the bicycle from 1879 to the present day. Two thoughts really inspired us to start the collection. The first is that there's an awful lot of brilliant article and essay-length writing about cycling that remains inaccessible to most people. A lot of it languishes out of print, and other pieces appear in obscure publications or blogs read by only a tiny minority of cyclists. And the second thing is that Kindles and other e-book readers are the natural companions of cyclists, or so Tim and I think. They're light and have a battery life capable of providing reading material for the longest of two-wheeled odysseys. The Bicycle Reader is available for all e-book readers, including the Kindle, the Nook, the Kobo and iPad, and the price is just £1.53 in the UK, and around about the same amount in other countries. So if you do take a look at The Bicycle Reader, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. There are pieces by me and by Tim Dawson about going up and going down, respectively, on a bicycle. There's a classic in there from Mark Twain about learning to ride the bike. There's an extended piece by Martin Ryle that was originally published in Radical Philosophy, uh, dealing with a lot of philosophical, sociological aspects of cycling in the modern age. There's a piece by Alex Backer from Washington DC about the politics of bike lanes in that city. And there's a really heartwarming story by Russ Rocker from Long Beach about how riding a bicycle changed his life. So it's available on the Kindle at Amazon you just search for it or we've got a little website called bicyclereader.com where you will be able to find more information about where to get the bicycle reader from and i hope you enjoy it and if you do let us know if you don't well let us know too and if you have ideas for pieces that you'd like to see in future issues of the reader because this is something that we're going to be hopefully doing probably about three times a year then let me or tim know you can send email to me bike show at resonancefm.com but we're heading up to the hour to one life left who'll be on air from seven o'clock until eight o'clock with an hour of video games chat and more that's it for the bike show this week i've made it through the half hour despite my insect injury I hope you're able to enjoy this lovely weather that's arrived just right on cue for the Olympics. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.